We just got a report that the Rams RB's co- RB coach is interviewing with the Vikings for the OC job. Yeah. Oh, Thomas Brown. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder if that's just, that's just the Rooney rule. They're hiring West Phillips, huh? I don't trust. <laughs> shit no more. Uh, is the Rooney rule for, oh, for assistant coaches too? Uh huh. For for Are we coordinators. Yo, we're, we're live. We gotta go. <laughs> okay. What up, y'all? We're back. Another episode of In the Huddle. We got our boy Matt here. He's going to break down some scheme. We got Miles in here. He's going to talk about it, whatever he wants to, because it's Miles. We got Dave in the truck. We'll be right back on the other side of this rolling. If you're watching this later on, just jump ahead two minutes. Talk to you soon. Huddle Around as Climbing the Pocket Network presents Jason and the Boys talking everything. Minnesota Vikings. Boom. We are back. And once again, before we get going here, shout out to the man Dave, producer Dave in the truck, putting on, you see these fly-ins coming in from all different parts of the screen. Dave stepping the game up week over week over week. Your favorite podcast isn't doing that. It's only here with producer Dave on In the Huddle. Let's go. I'm excited. We took a week off last week, but we are back. Matt, my man, how you doing? How you been? How are hey, things? Doing great. How are Kindred Skulls? Happy to be here. Uh, Kindred Skulls is going great. Um, you know, yeah, you can check it out. Uh, you guys probably know Nick Olson too. Uh, he and me and our friend Greg run that ship. Uh, typically, we record Wednesday nights, get it out Thursdays. Kind of depends on the week and and what our availability is. So. It's fun to be doing it. It's fun to be on here. So ready to talk some Vikings. It, New coaches. It, yeah, we're going to do it. We're going to dig in. And uh, yeah, all y'all, check out Kindred Schools. It's good stuff. And uh, Miles, oh man, how you doing? How what you up? been? What are your thoughts on the Super Bowl, man? Super Bowl is good. All I ask every year is a, a, an entertaining Super Bowl, and that's what they gave us. It was a good game. Um, hit a little bit of a rough right. patch, I think, what, third quarter, but in general, it was fun. I, I thought, you know, the ending was nerve-wracking, which is fun when, when you don't have a skin in the game. So um, I enjoyed it. Word. So, like, as is our custom as Vikings fans, we will uh, often make just about any news about anything in the NFL about us. And I guess this time we had a – we had a, you know, it made sense. You know, our future coach was part of the offense that was playing for the Rams, the team that ended up winning the Super Bowl. So I guess, Miles – as you've spent time maybe looking at past games or you saw what they did in the Super Bowl with some extra time to plan, was there anything that stood out to you in terms of what the Rams offense was doing and how that might translate to uh, to the Vikings? Miles? Anything? Uh-oh, I lost you. Did we, was that did, me? Did I we lost- lose Miles? Oh, yep, oh, we lost Miles? All right. So we're just going to go to the man with the beautiful hair as the folks have called out here in uh in the comments matt fresh off your head and shoulders commercial what is it that you saw when you looked at the rams offense both in your deep dives and in the super bowl that uh either makes you happy or makes you a little nervous as a vikings fan head and shoulders you know reach out like hit me up slide in the dms <laughs> maybe whatever but no uh going to the super bowl i i think there's a couple takeaways and one is you know we're we're the way we've talked about kevin o'connell is this young offensive mind, right? Which he is, right? He's 36 years old. And I, I think that we focus on that and think it might be a shift away from the Mike Zimmer mentality of like running the football first. The Rams under Sean McVay have very much been a run the football first team. Um, so if you look at, you know, look at what they did in the Super Bowl. I mean, they were terrible running the ball, right? And they kept going after it time after time on early downs. So that would be, I guess, somewhat of a concern for me, I guess, early on in the O'Connell era is like, how committed is he going to be to running the football just in terms of when it's clearly not working? Um, Now, obviously, you need to have balance, and a lot of their passing game is built off of that run. So, and at the end of the day, right, they just won the Super Bowl. It's not like that's a bad or a terrible offensive philosophy to be having, right? But you need to be able to layer that run game into play action and utilize that. And that's something that the Rams have been 
extremely effective in, right? That's somebody, something that the people from the Shanahan tree have been effective in over time. And we were very effective in doing that in 2019 in particular with Stefanski. We kind of went away with it in 2020, but we were still a very good offense. And then this past year with Clint Kubiak, I just think we didn't have the uh, consistency or the layering in the play calling where we built off of what we were doing previously. And I think part of that from his side was inexperience as an offense coordinator, but you know, maybe he also just wasn't that good of a play caller. Right. And that was part of our issue, you know, along with various execution errors we have to fix up along the team too. Right. It's not like our personnel is perfect either. So I'm interested. I'm very interested to see how O'Connell carries over what he's learned from McVeigh in his time under him. Yeah, Miles, uh, do we have you back? Because uh, Clifford made a comment, and it's something yep. that you know I think that I felt as well watching the game, that there were definitely stretches that it did feel a lot like I was watching just like a slightly better performing version of the Vikings offense that was out there. Um, until very late in the game, it didn't seem like they were really looking to unleash Stafford and let him just kind of go out and get it. They were very committed to you know, what we as Viking fans have become very accustomed to through the Zimmer era, where it's like, we're going to establish the run. Like, we are going to do what we can. Even if Cam Akers, is, I think it was like 1.7 yards a carry or something by ends, by the end of the game was his average. But it very much felt a lot like, yeah, they, they weren't going to let Stafford lose the game, but they did let him go win it at the end, which is something that, you know, we saw a lot with this Vikings team last year. So I guess seeing that, how did you feel about it? Do you feel like, you know, we're going to be moving into an office that feels a lot like what we just – just had or do you think that there's going to be anything in terms of how the Rams utilize their personnel that's going to be a little different or maybe open things up um, the way many are hoping that it happens well I mean the the offense that that O'Connell and and Sean McVay run is very similar and it's a a branch off of the um, Gary Kubiak tree right so it's not like it's we're not going to see a crazy difference in terms of some of the the run schemes and, and how that how that's handled now, I don't think it'll be all wide zone, outside zone scheme. I think there'll be a little, little bit more um, of the of the gap scheme, power scheme um, involved in the run game. It won't just be the outside zone, outside zone that uh, Kubiak uh, employed. But um, but another part that you're going to see that's a little slightly different is is the personnel and how they handle the personnel. So we should likely see a lot more 11 personnel, so three wide receiver sets, one tight end. I hate to say this out loud, but CJ Ham might not have a role. Like, I, I know this is a this isn't a popular opinion. I, I'm a big CJ Ham guy, uh, but as you saw with the Rams' offense, there isn't really much of a role for a, a fullback. Now that doesn't mean they don't use like an H back. So maybe CJ Ham, if he does stick around, can play a little bit more of an H back tight end type of role. But in general, they don't really use two backs. So um, we'll see what what happens there. But what I do like about the offense is that they get multiple and they use a lot of pre-snap motion. And I'm all about the window dressing because I think the window dressing is super important to your play action. And I think it's important to your overall run game because all it, all it does is to create hesitation and doubt um, in a defense, even if for a slight, slightly, a slight hesitation, it doesn't need to be, we fooled you every single time. It's a, it's a delay in a response into, into them seeing the, seeing the um, outcome. So um, that that's where I'm excited because the Vikings kind of got away from some of those types of things. They got very vanilla with their dropbacks. They got vanilla with some of the run game. Um, so I'm excited to see be a little bit more multiple um, in that way. So Miles, yeah, uh, just another Hammett question to you before I go. Yeah. Miles, another question to you before I throw it back to to Matt here is, you know, obviously we're going to draw parallels between the the Vikings personnel and the Rams personnel, and so. Uh, I think we, we can all say the Rams offensive line is clearly better than the Vikings. But in terms of how we match up from a skill position perspective, when you're looking at the current Vikings roster and you know what the Rams had when they just won the Super Bowl, how would you kind of say we stack up when you're looking across you know, all those position groups, especially if we are going to be running a bit more three wide? Well, I'm going to start with the O-line because I actually think – I don't think the Rams O-line had – besides Andrew Whitworth, who's obviously a, a future Hall of Famer, I don't think the O line was like that, like ridiculously good. I just think they did a really good job of with what they were asked to do, and I think the scheme helped help them more than anything. Not that not to say some guys didn't over out overperform. Like I think Brian Allen, uh, the center, overperformed based off like he's a small dude. He's kind of like a Garrett Bradbury um, in that in that type of way, but he he definitely performed way significantly better than 
what we've seen from Bradbury. Um, Austin Corbett, the right guard, I think he's he's a pretty solid um, overall right guard. So I think maybe some of that is a little bit of a difference. But like at tackle in general, I don't think the drop off is like major. Like of course, I think Andrew Orr is better than Christian Derisaw, but I think Christian Derisaw has a, has a really good potential. So in general, I think the foundation for the offensive line is there for the Vikings. If they can fit a couple more pieces in there, I think they'll be fine. So I don't want to say it's like crazy to think that the Vikings offensive line could be good soon, depending on how they go go about that approach. But um, skill-wise, very similar. I think the one difference people 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 see Justin Jefferson, they see Cooper Cup. Um, besides the skill set, they're, they're different in that way. But the one thing I think people need to understand is Justin Jefferson doesn't play the Cooper Cup role in this offense currently. Now, my hope is that they transition him into that role, but he's like you saw what you saw with the Rams, Odell Beckham Jr., that role, the outside X, I call it the X because that's what I know. Um, they call it the X, the X um, position, the outside guy. Um, they get a lot more one on one matchups. That, that's the role that Jefferson's been playing in this offense the last two years. Now, I know they've mixed him and moved him around, so it's not like he's only played that role, but that's been a lot of where he's, he's been featured. Diggs was the same thing here in Minnesota as well. Um, that's the role that Jefferson's been playing. Cup's been playing the Adam Thielen Z role, the the move around um, uh, and 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 do a lot of the pre snap motion and that type of things. But the one thing I'm excited about is the Rams' offense used Robert Woods and Cooper Cup in that similar role, and they interchange those guys. So I'm hoping with what with whatever happens with Adam Thielen, I'm, I'm assuming he'll be around, but you never know um, that they'll interchange those guys and those guys can play kind of be those move those move receivers within the offense and not be stuck in one position the way we kind of saw a little bit under uh, the Kubiak offense, specifically Stefanski. I think, I think Stefanski was, didn't, didn't interchange his receivers as much as I'd probably liked him to. Um, and he's kind of seen in Cleveland now. Um, but the hope is with, with uh, O'Connell that they're a little bit more interchangeable. And then I'm excited to see what Irv Smith get back and, and hopefully he can kind of um, be, be a, a big weapon, kind of like Tyler Higby is, uh, with the Rams right now, um, that third receiver spot, KJ Osborne, he stepped up last year. But what kind of role can he play within this type of offense? Because where 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 does he fit best? I obviously need to go and go back and check. But like, can he be a good blocker within the inside? We know that Rams offense uses their wide receivers to block heavily in the within the within the box. So um, Robert Woods, Cooper Cup are really good at that. Um, can KJ Osborne? Can Adam Thielen? Can J- Justin Jefferson do a little bit more of that? Um, be excited to see how how that goes. Otherwise, maybe they need to go and get like a, maybe a little bit of a bit of a bigger bodied wide receiver to help some of the inline blocking. Awesome, Matt. So, like from your perspective, like digging deep into to O'Connell and what you think we're going to be getting from him. I guess what what do you have to add in terms of what you expect to see from a personnel standpoint? How do you expect things to be deployed? Um, or do you think maybe it's just going to be a, a better called version of the offense that we've already had? Yeah, so I, I think what Miles was getting towards there at the end with the blocking wide receivers in the McVay system was was pretty uh, important. But also, I just want to highlight going back to the personnel, especially in terms of usage of 11 versus 12 or that sort of thing. The Rams ended up using a ton of 12 the one season when Brandon Cooks, I believe, went down. Um, they, and I think Josh Reynolds was also hurt or something. He was their third wide receiver on the team at the time. Um, they ended up using a ton of 12 with Gerald Everett and Tyler Higby at the end of that year. And that was when Tyler Higley had like four straight hundred yard receiving games or something like that. So it's not that necessarily it's impossible for them to go into 11 or 12 in that offense. I think it's more personnel dictated where they like the receivers they have in 11 and they went with that. Um, to piggyback off of that, blocking is very important for the receivers. And Miles, I, I, I do disagree a little bit with what you said about Justin Jefferson in the Cooper Cup role because I think that Jefferson is not the blocker that Cooper Cup like Cooper Cup is a fantastic blocker. No, definitely not. Um, yeah, and Jefferson's not that kind of blocker. But one person that interests me who we didn't get to see anything from this year would be Irv Smith in a similar type of role. Maybe you see him use like Ger- Gerald Everett was, but Irv Smith is not a big-bodied you know tight end. He's no. not a two hundred sixty-pound tight end. Um, so you can probably modify the Cooper cup and the Odell roles that we saw from this year, where you're leaning more on your X receiver and your passing game. And frankly, 
in the first half of the Super Bowl, we saw that before Odell got hurt, unfortunately, right? Like he was becoming the focal point of that offense. Part of the reason for that is I think the amount of dedication the Bengals put on covering Cooper Cup and stopping Cooper Cup initially and kind of freed him up a little bit. But at the same time, you know, you can have that as the focal point of your offense, whereas you have Irv Smith as more of a secondary option, or maybe you keep Adam Thielen in that role because he is a bit of a bigger body and more physical than Justin Jefferson is, I think, on the outside. Or maybe K.J. Osborne is able to step into that role because K.J. Osborne is, like, by far the the heaviest of our receivers, right? He is the most well-filled out of our receivers. Um, so I, I do think that's interesting. The Rams do not use a lot of 12 personnel at all, so I'd be interested to see what O'Connell does there. Obviously, we were using C.J. Hammond in a tight end role, so if we like his blocking prowess and we like that ability in certain situations, it might make sense to keep him around, and then he might be used a little bit more often than the Rams used a fullback, per se. Um, I believe Tyler Conklin is a free agent, so I'll be interested to kind of see what we do there. But if he's not, you know, I think he showed enough where we can mix in the 11 and 12 personnel and that sort of thing and still use two tight end sets. Um, From a scheme perspective, I I agree with what you said earlier, Miles. Like at the end of the day, we're running stuff that's pretty similar to the Kubiak-Shanahan system, right? Like Gary Kubiak and Mike Shanahan developed this system, passed it on to his son, Kyle Shanahan. Also, you know, in Washington, Sean McVay was there. Right. So it's not like it's not like this is very far from the tree of what we've seen the past, you know, three years, the Vikings running Um, the run game. I do agree with you, Miles, because of who we're bringing in as our run game coordinator. We're bringing in the Broncos running backs coaches, our run game coordinator. They ran a lot more man and power schemes than we did or the Rams did. I I was actually looking at the number of uh, runs of each type of scheme today. There was a website I found on the Rams by far their most used run is outside zone. And they actually didn't use man and power schemes much at all. We used a ton of outside zone and inside zone, but the Rams didn't use a whole lot of inside zone in their running game, which honestly, you know, you hear more in-depth scene guys talk about inside zone and they call it a play where like when the offense coordinator doesn't know what to do, it's like second and eight or something. I'll just run inside zone. And like, it's kind of like a throwaway play almost. So I, I'd like to see that go away a little bit. The Broncos were very well balanced. They actually ran a ton of inside zone too. It was their most common play. So, you know, maybe, maybe we Pat Shermer. That, but yeah, Pat Shermer. Pat Shermer. So yeah. I'm, I'm interested. Well, right? I'd, 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 yeah, I'd want to go back to see the, what was it, the 2017 um, Washington offense when, when Kevin O'Connell was the uh, OC yeah. there uh, and, and kind of see a little bit more of how Jay Gruden handled some of the run game there. I'd, I'd bad you'd have to go back a few years to do that. But, be curious to kind yeah, of see I might, what I might the, be able the run to pull game that up. because yeah, because I'd be curious to see what how they adopted the run game there because that could be where O'Connell leans a little bit. Besides the outside zone, I think the outside zone is going to happen, but I also wonder if he's going to pull some of the some some of the stuff from Washington. Yeah, so just pulled up 2017 Washington. Uh, their most runs were outside zone, second most man, third most inside zone. So kind of similar actually to okay. what the Denver profile looks like. Or the what the current uh, LA profile looks like, where it's outside zone first, then they run man schemes like duo and that sort of thing, and then they run yep. the zone schemes. Um, so anyway, uh, going back to the passing game, I think you know some of the main concepts you're looking at, and this has become very popular in the NFL, is getting the Y cross, getting Cooper Cup crossing the formation. Um, you know, running a crossing route, which we ran to a ton of success. Like Justin Jefferson's fantastic at those routes. And then, and, and this is something that people have talked about where you have a three by one formation, right? You have three wide receivers to the one side and you're trying to pull all of the coverage vertical and to that side. And then you run a dig on the backside with the singled up receiver. Like Odell Beckham ate on those routes this year when he was with the Rams. And that backside dig is something that I think can be exploited in defenses right now. Um, if you're not in the Fangio style of defense, which we might get to if we talk about defenses. Yeah, well, definitely. We're definitely going to talk about defenses. And you started to talk about it a little bit there, Matt, where uh, you started to maybe hint at some of the folks who will be coming in and filling out the, the coaching staff. So maybe uh, you know, with the rumors that are out there, let's start on the offensive side of the ball first. Like, Talk to me about who's rumored to come over, who you're excited about, and maybe like who you're eh, 
not so sure about in terms of the, the coaching staff rumors that we've seen so far. Yeah, so in terms of coaches, um, I believe Curtis Modkins is the name of the running back slash run game coordinator coach. Um, and then we're also bringing over from the Broncos, Chris Cooper, I believe is how you say it. Um, he is a former NFL offensive lineman who was their assistant offensive line coach. Um, and this is something that Nick and I on, on Kindred's goals pounded the table for is we wanted Vic Fangio as defensive coordinator and we wanted Mike Munchak as offensive line coach. And we got both of their top assistants right on the coaching staff. So uh, we'll, we'll, we'll hold that down for a little bit off yet, but I, I think it's kind of funny. Um, from what I've heard of Chris Keeper, obviously it's really hard to evaluate these guys in their previous roles from like where we're at right now. Um, from what I've heard, he's kind of like a rising star in the business and he's well regarded in terms of what he's going to do. So we can only hope that we can finally get a solid offensive line coach to fix our offensive line for the first time since like maybe when Tony Sperano was here. Right. Uh, and then we are also keeping Keenan McCardell, um, our wide receivers coach, which I, I think is a fantastic keep. Like, I think he's done an absolutely awesome job. Um, the past couple of years here, I think it's two years now. Right. Um, but on the offensive coordinator side, obviously Kevin O'Connell is who I expect to be running the offense and calling plays. So for me, that's not, you know, the offensive coordinator obviously has a hand in game planning. Uh, the two people ruined for that are their run game coordinator, Thomas, or sorry, the, the Rams running backs coach, Thomas Brown, or their tight ends coach, Wes Phillips, who's the son of Wade Phillips. Um, to be honest with you, that's all I know about them. Uh, I have I know somebody who is a Rams fan, and he would rather lose Wes Phillips than he would their running backs coach. So that me makes me kind of want uh, Brown more. But I cannot tell you too much about what they do. To be honest with you, that's fair, Miles. I know that like through the process, you were kind of sending out a tweet on a semi regular basis of kind of like the staff rumors and like who was filling out the, the coaching staff. Um, is there anyone in there that really stands out for you that you're like really excited that the Vikings either retained or someone that's coming in because you like what they might be doing from a philosophical standpoint or, or shifts they might make to the way the team does things? Yeah, it's a, it's a small move, but I think it's an under-the-radar one. Gerard Johnson, I think um, that to be an assistant QB coach, to be um, kind of behind-the-scenes type of coach that, those are the type of coaches that are doing more of the developing of the younger players, like the, the backup quarterbacks and those things. Um, I'm excited about that because I think one area that the Vikings just have not done well in the last, uh, you know, under the last regime was developing those backup quarterbacks. They didn't, they kind of didn't pay them much attention. They didn't really develop young guys. I mean, they, they did it without the intent of actually letting those guys develop long-term. Like the idea was they, they just developed naturally but I think this opportunity allows somebody to, to be in there every day helping develop those guys consistently so that you maybe you can develop a Kellen Mond to be a primary backup. Maybe he becomes a future starter. I don't know. Like that's that's all up in the air. But like if you let's say you draft another young quarterback in the middle of the late rounds, the hope is you can develop that guy into being your, you know, a backup quarterback or at least someone that can stay in the league. Like those types of things. And it just didn't really feel like the Vikings dedicated that much to that position because they're so focused every week on just winning football games and they didn't do a lot of that behind the scenes stuff. So my hope is that's kind of what we get with Johnson. And I think, again, the quarterback position is the most important position in sports. Let's, let's throw more resources at it, but also throw more coaching and development at it. So um, that's where I'm excited about it. it. Like I said, it's a low key move, but you know, maybe Gerard Johnson could be a guy down the pipeline that develops into a, a, a QB main primary QB coach or an offensive coordinator um, you know, one of those things that, you know, as he develops, I, the one thing I think we didn't see from the Vikings as well under Zim, not trying to <laughs> throw too many stones, but like some of the lack of development from some of the coaches, you just didn't really see a lot of it. You didn't see a lot of them get a lot of new opportunities um, too often. So um, I'm excited to kind of see how that, how O'Connell handles that. Cause we, we have seen, you know, McVeigh do a lot of, Hey, if we lose a couple guys, a couple coaches to other teams because of, you know, we got poached for head coaches or offense coordinators, defense coordinators. We have other people ready to take their their place. And um, I kind of hope, you know, O'Connell has a similar approach and, and can take a similar approach. 
So Miles, with the uh, with, with with Johnson, do you see that as uh, you know? Shout out to Cwise. I know that I, we know how you feel about it. Uh, do you see this as a nod, maybe towards Kellen Mond, um, that they are maybe more committed to, to developing him than the previous regime was? Um, obviously, we you know we've recorded previously, and you know Zim's comments before he left about like basically not really giving a damn what Kellen Mond was doing because like he didn't think he was good in practice sort of thing do you do you see this as kind of being a nod to like hey we we got this young guy we took a chance on him he played great in the sec like let's really put some resources into developing and seeing what we have or is is that too far down the reckless speculation path for you no well so i don't know if i think it's directly about mond but i think it's about players like mond what what they do in the future at that position too so mond just happens to be the guy there right now that's the young up and coming develop developmental QB on the roster. But I think it's more about just that, that process and how they handle those types of players. All right. All right. Well, we know Matt was chomping at the bit. He wanted to get there. So uh, we're going to talk about it because a lot has been made about the, the, the defensive staff as well. And the fact that a lot of the hires seem to signal uh, a pretty big change in philosophy for the Vikings in terms of how they're going to be running a defense. So, Matt, maybe uh, maybe jump in, talk to me about the staff, and, and tell me what we should be expecting from the Vikings defense next year. Yeah, so um, Ed Donatel is going to be our new defensive coordinator, at least according to reports, right? Um, we brought in a couple of – we brought in – I know we have the defensive backs coach. I know we have the – or no – do we lose the defensive backs coach? I'm sorry, I I, I haven't tracked yeah. it recently, but we were Deshane, Deshane going Townsend to in, is going to the yeah the Jackson. He's going to Jacksonville. So we lost Deshay Townsend. I know we brought in a new defensive line coach, and he was reported um, replacing Andre Patterson. Right, so we lost Carl Scott and from the Bears our defensive line. I'm sorry, I'm blanking on the names. Um, Chris Rumpf. Chris Rumpf I, is the D line coach. Chris Rumpf. Yes. Okay. Yeah. There we go. Yeah, my bad. Um, it's been a long day. But anyway, the, the key, right, is the addition of the Fangio defense um, because Ed Donatel was Vic Fangio's senior most lieutenant since he came to the Denver Broncos or sorry, to the league uh, with Jim Harbaugh, right, which is a whole nother funny conversation uh, in 2011 with the San Francisco 49ers. Donatel's been with him since then. Um, he does have previous defensive coordinator experience. He has it with the Jets and the Falcons in the early 2000s. Um, so since that point, though, he's been with Fangio. Um, the thing I've heard people talk about is the potential switch to a 3-4, right? And I, I want to break down real quick why I don't think that really matters, um, because there's a couple reasons. So first of all, if you look at the personnel that we have on the team um, that that are like good at football, right? Or that like I want starting. You have Tomlinson and Pierce on the defensive line, right? Both of the, Tomlinson played in a 3-4 in Alabama. He played for it in the Giants and Pierce played for it with the Ravens. Both of those guys can two gap. That's the first number one thing you're looking for interior defensive linemen in a traditional 3-4 front to do, okay, is two gap. You look at Daniil Hunter, as an outside linebacker, quote-unquote, he's still an edge rusher in a 3-4 defense. You might ask him to drop into coverage. He needs to be fluid enough to do that. Daniel Hunter is one of the best athletes in the NFL. Like, it's a no-brainer that he can do that on occasion. Um, I saw somewhere where somebody said Eric Hendricks doesn't fit as a 3-4. That's ridiculous. Um, he is super instinctual. He is, is a great all-around player. And you don't need to have 250-pound backers in 2020 in 2022 in a 3-4 defense to plug up the interior. Like, that's just not how the NFL works anymore. Um, if you look at the personnel the Broncos had, they had Josie Jewell, who's like the exact same dimensions, height, and weight as Eric Kendricks is. They have, uh, you know, so, and they added Kenny Young, who's also like 230 pounds, right, this past year. So that's the past two years, their Mike linebackers have been 230 pounds. That's not going to be a problem for Eric Kendricks. Um, DJ Wanham has the movement skills. Probably. I don't want him starting as a defensive end. So that pretty much covers your bases there, right? We need a second linebacker with Anthony Barr. Who's going to be gone. We just need it period. Like none of the guys we have on the roster are startable anyway. So that's not really too much of a concern to me. 
Um, so hey. that that just kind of gets my bases covered out. Then Vic Fangio's 3-4 defense is a one-gap scheme. So you're not really going to ask the players to play super different techniques. The defensive line plays gap-and-a-half techniques. We use that all the time this year. Um, they play with light boxes a lot, which requires uh, – essentially the gap-and-a-half technique is – you're holding one gap and then you're peeking to another gap if the running back cuts back and you shed that direction. Um, so it's different from two gap where you're controlling your blocker in front of you, like that's your intent, and a true one gap where you're shooting gaps. But it's still like it's a hybrid and we have the guys who can do that um, in terms of Tomlinson and Pierce at least. So from the 3-4 to the 4-3, like to me, it doesn't make much of a difference. Uh, the, the interesting thing to me is how Fangio calls his defense and how that's going to differ from what we've had previously. Uh, Mike Zimmer run ran a lot of match coverage. We brought in Carl Scott last year, who we also lost, which I thought was kind of unfortunate. I, I think that could have been a good meld with the Alabama cover seven stuff. Um, so that coverage is match man defense, which I'm sure has been talked about here on the past, but you know it's kind of a mix of man and zone where you, are, you have specific roles for how you're covering guys and you're matching up tightly against them. Right. So you're not we you're not just running to a spot like spot drop zone coverage and you're not in man on the same person, you know, the whole time throughout the route. You're leveraging the offense and you're making sure that if a wide receiver is running to this spot, you have somebody covering them like you you pass it off and that sort of thing. Um Fangio's style of defense is called differently and the rules are different from what we had under Zimmer. So that will be an adjustment on the defensive end. Um, one thing I think we do need is kind of a star or two very good outside corners to be able to play that. Um, if you look at the schemes that Fangio ran, uh, you know, a lot of people talk about his quarters, his too high. He actually does. So one of the interesting things about Fangio is he will use a too high shell. He'll have two high safeties and use that to base his cover three. So a lot of times in cover three, we've seen Harrison Smith rotated down in the box and into the box. Fangio doesn't really do that. And I assume Donatel, right? We haven't seen a Donatel call a defense in a very long time, but I'm just, you know, I expect that he will do what Fangio does. He uses players from depth in cover three rather than putting him in the box. He thinks it gives him an advantage in the passing game, which it does, um, in my opinion. So he'll run that, he'll run a lot of quarters, and he'll run a lot of what's called cover six, which is quarter, quarter, half. So you have one side of the field playing quarters and you have the other side of the field playing half coverage. He also ran a ton of cover one man last year because the Broncos had a very good group of corners, right? So I, I think that will be a little bit dependent on what we get in terms of the cornerback room because all of our corners are free agents. The only one who has playing experience who I even want to remotely come close to the field is Cameron Dantzler. And I'm not even sure how I feel about him. Right. So that'll be a huge question mark as we come in. Uh, but it'll, it will be a difference in terms of coverage. Like we ran a ton of cover two last year. We ran a ton of cover two last year. Fan, the Fangio system doesn't really run cover two. So that's kind of what's most interesting to me about the new scheme coming in. Yeah, so Miles, we have a question. Uh, do do you think the Vikings are more likely to to go and try to address the cornerback position with you know a high priced free agent? Do you think that we're or do you think we're addressing it early in the draft? How do you think that's going to go in terms of the way the Vikings are going to address what is you know we have no corners, so it's an obvious weakness. Uh, <laughs> many mocks have us looking in that direction. I think Thomas had us looking at a, a Jordan Davis. Um, I hope not. Not in, in round one, but, you know, uh, Miles, which way do you think they, they go to address corner? Or are they just, you know, maybe going like the Bengals did and just firing a lot of shots that maybe not the top guy, but, you know, a couple tiers down and just kind of seeing who's playing well by the time you make it to the end of the season? Yeah, I think it, it really is de- is going to depend on what they do to free up cap space and how much cap space. I think they need to, they no matter what happens, I think they need to sign a, at least one veteran cornerback you know, what level of cornerback that ends up being will determine how much cap space they free up. Um, you know, there are a few guys coming from from the Fangio defense and the even the Rams style of defense um, coming over that are free agents. So um, there's a few guys in the Rams cornerback group. Darius Williams is a guy that, you know, maybe he comes over. Um, Bryce Callahan and um, um, how am I drawing a blank on the other Fuller. Broncos? Um, Kyle Fuller. Thank you. Um, Kyle Fuller. 
Um, he, he struggled last year, but you know, maybe, you know, maybe he comes over, um, as a, as a veteran, uh, they could also, also bring back Patrick Peterson. I, I guess, to be honest, my hope would be to, to get younger at the cornerback position, but also get a veteran. So like that veteran doesn't have to be, um, you know, 30 years old, that veteran could be, you know, 26, you know, there's like a Carlton Davis type. That's, that's like the top end of the cornerback market. So I'm not saying they're going to be able to afford that, but you know, I'd like to, like, if they're going to go the veteran route, I'd prefer to go the younger veteran route so that, you know, someone that you could build off for the future, um, ideally, not just a one-year stopgap. And then obviously address it early in the draft, whether that's at 12 or at, um, in the second round, third round. Awesome. And Matt, I guess, what's your perspective? Just based on what you know of the scheme, like how important is like that veteran presence there? And, and do you think that they would lean more towards like, I think that if it was, you know, the previous regime, everyone would already have corner kind of penciled into their mock drafts. And that's all we would <laughs> see throughout yeah. the entire off season. I guess, are you expecting something similar with this new regime? Like, is corner the biggest gap that you're seeing on this roster overall? Do you expect that to be the place that they go? Or are you thinking that, they're going to try to sprinkle some money around and like, yes, we know we're broke, but they can free some things up and, you know, restructure. And there's a lot of ways to make money appear in the NFL if they yeah. want it. So I guess, which way do you, do you feel like they might go about addressing this in the off season? Yeah, we have the flexibility to make money. Um, like Miles said, I, I think if you're asking about signing a corner and drafting a corner, it's like, why not both? Because we need multiple corners on the team, right? Is the first answer. But the second answer is I don't think they'd shy away from drafting a corner. Remember, everybody and their mother last year was screaming that the Broncos should take Fields at number nine when he was on the board, and they took Patrick Sertan at corner, right? So I don't think that their philosophy is all that much different from Mike Zimmer's philosophy when it comes to corners. Um, the one thing I will say is for me, you know, and this quarterback class is not great. If the Vikings do want to move on at quarterback, obviously I think you still take a shot at quarterback at 12 and at least give it an opportunity. But if it's not a quarterback at 12, I think it's edge rusher or corner. I think those are your two really that you need to hone in on because we don't have a second edge rusher who I'm comfortable with starting across from Daniel Hunter. And we might not even have Daniel Hunter, right, with his looming contract situation. And Miles talked about you know, the ability to free up cap space. Well, you know, part of the ability to free up cap space, like the number two ability to free up cap space is Daniel Hunter, right? That's the second best opportunity, um, which I I personally think we should do what we can to keep him in here. I think he is worth the money that he is getting, and I, I don't think it makes a whole lot of sense to get rid of him. Um, but, you know, we still need somebody opposite to him. We haven't drafted that position because we believed in our ability to develop the talent under the last regime. Um, I would also, a uh, note just popped up here, I would like to see Patrick Peterson back. I think, you know, that is a solid veteran option. And like Miles said, you need to get younger overall at the position, but having a veteran presence in there, like, like the Broncos last year, right? I'll use them as an example. They drafted Patrick Sertan. They also brought in Kyle Fuller. I think Kyle Fuller would be a fine addition, particularly because he knows the system as well. So I, I think you do have a lot of options on the corner market that we could tap into. But certainly not a place to draft one twelve either. You mentioned QB there as a, as a potential. Do, do you have a favorite this early into the, into the process if the Vikings were to look QB in the draft? So it's hard. Like for me, just the pure upside play, I'd go Malik Willis um, because I don't, at this point, I don't want a quarterback that lacks the upside. Um, so I, I don't think a Joe Burrow, right, is a common person. Like we talk about how Josh Allen will lead people down the wrong path in terms of looking for quarterbacks, right? Where you don't have a lot of guys like Josh Allen. There also aren't a lot of guys like Joe Burrow where they can just come in and be that infectious leader. Like the dude won a national championship in a Heisman for a reason. It's not like, I don't think Kenny Pickett is that kind of guy. Um, I am not a Carson strong guy. I just don't <laughs> think he can move. Um, I know a lot of people who we talk to like Carson strong, like the dude looks like 44 year old Tom Brady and he's 22. Or whatever. He's like talk, he's no talking about how, you, Tyler, by the way. 
Tyler, it's, it's you we're talking <laughs> about right now. <laughs> no, no matter how well he moves in the pocket, like Tom Brady, you're not going to move as well in the pocket as Tom Brady did, right? Like nobody is that. So if he, he just can't move, I'm sorry. And if he doesn't have the mobility, I think that severely limits his upside. So that's where I'm at with him. Uh, other guys, Ritter, I, I'm kind of in on, but I just have like, I, none of these guys are all that good to be honest with you. Like any of these guys would be my sixth quarterback in last year's class. So it's kind of hard to talk him off at 12. So, so with that said, then with all of that, I know that there's been talk and Matt, I know that you've, 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 you've mentioned it, that, you know, moving on from Kirk feels like, you know, the prudent thing to do based on the Viking situation and them kind of resetting and moving forward and all of that stuff. But you're also now telling me that the options in this draft are terrible. Is Mond better than all these guys that are coming out this year? Uh, I think he's better than some of them. Uh, the thing with the Kirk situation is like, it honestly, made, like, I would prefer to do personally what the Eagles did last year with Wentz and Jalen Hurts situation. Like, if I'm looking at a track for what I want to do, I want to trade the quarterback to stockpile picks for the next draft class and then have the flexibility in that draft class to do whatever you want and then look at what you have in the young guy. Um, I don't know and cap space. if... Don't, and, and to free up cap space. And and free up thirty-five million, up to $35 million in cap space, right? Like, that's a massive part of this. Then you can start to build the infrastructure around a quarterback coming in and you get to see, I guess, what you have in Calamond, even if I'm not expecting a lot from him, you know, if he's a dumpster fire, you have a bad pick anyway, you have a good pick anyway. Right. So at the end of the day, I think it's kind of a win-win where you stockpile capital. If you turns out you have a little something, maybe you can try to see what you can do to work with that. And if you don't have anything, well, then you're in position for a quarterback. Um, Sam Howell, real quick, I could be kind of sold on Sam Howell a little bit, I think. I, I think he's pretty athletic and pretty talented. I'm also concerned he's just like Sam Darnold. So there's that. <laughs> East Coast Sam well, Darnold. That's terrifying. <laughs> yeah. Like, he doesn't make the greatest decisions a lot of the time. Like, Sam Darnold, pretty pretty good, uh, you know, movement, that sort of thing. The one thing I will say, just going back to Kirk, I'm a little bit concerned because Clifford, you just brought up his asking price. I'm a little bit concerned with what his asking price is going to be because if you look at the quarterbacks that were traded, it was more upside guys, right? Like Kirk is not seen by Kirk is seen by the NFL as a system quarterback who puts up gaudy numbers and doesn't really do and doesn't necessarily have the arm talent or the playmaking ability. The guys who were traded for value last year were Carson Wentz, who has, you know, all the play, like he built an entire almost MVP campaign off of playmaking ability. Sam Darnold, who was supposed to have playmaking ability, uh, and Matthew Stafford, who has incredible playmaking ability. So, like, you know, Jared Goff is the guy who gets shot off the side. Aaron, and tell him this podcast and, is all uh, about Minshew Mania. Sorry. Oh, Minshew Mania. I got, Mania. Excited, Let's I, got go. I got excited. Aaron, you know, put Minshew on the screen. I, I, I have no sniff. He's my bridge quarterback. If we have to have one, bring in Minshew. Let's go. He will unite the fan base again with his antics and his mullet. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'd be all in on Gardner Minshew bridge quarterback. At least we take chances. You know, we might throw a lot of picks, but we're throwing the ball. So that's good. Yeah. Tim, Timothy here, he's bringing up a point that like you you mentioned Ritter, but you were kind of eh. But he seems like a player that like has a lot of the upside that like a Malik Willis he, seems to also have. He has Miles. I, I like, think when I break him down, he seems okay. I, I was just like, what's, say, I, why are you out I on think, Ritter? I'm not on Ritter. I, I you you've heard me. I said Ritter's one of the only guys I actually like in his class. I okay for me. I think Ritter has the best overall. I think he has the best overall resume. Now that doesn't mean he has the highest upside, but I think when you go into the when you go into the draft, he's the guy that you look at. You're like, okay. When I look at what the guy's done over the last few years, he's the guy that checks some of those boxes of this guy's done it for multiple years. You know, he's played at a high level. He's taken his team to a college football playoff. You know, he's he's hit some of those those check marks that not a lot of guys in this class have hit. 
but also like what you typically see from some of the top quarterbacks uh, prospects in other classes. You, you know, you see like a Joe Burrow, even if he comes out of nowhere, he was checking some of those, you know, those uh, resume boxes. Uh, you know, you see guys like Justin Fields, um, uh, who else am I thinking of in another class, like Mac Jones, like those guys that like hit some of those like success boxes. And some of the guys currently in this class just don't do that. And like, that, that that's okay. They don't have to, but I think sometimes, you know, sometimes a resume doesn't hurt. It, it's a, it's a guy that, you know, that at least for me, Ritter has a little bit of a like better version. Like, I don't, I don't have really a comparison for him, but I think he has a good, a good overall like skill set for where the NFL is going. I think he's really good in structure, but I also think he's, he can move a little bit. If you get him out, get out, get him out in the, on bootlegs and, and get him in um, and like uh, read options and those types of things. I think he's capable of those things. It's not his like true skill set, but he has those abilities. Um, so I think there's there's room for him to develop in in kind of that realm. And real quick, I just want to jump in. Ritter right now for me is the best quarterback that is coming out of the draft. Like right now, he is the best quarterback coming into the league. Maybe you can make the argument for Kenny Pickett. Um, I just don't see the upside for Pickett. I think Raider has better upside than Pickett does. And the reason I, I was on Malik Willis higher is like his upside is like through the roof, right? Like he has by far the best upside in this class. If I were to go right now, Ritter might be my QB one and Willis my QB two um, probably, but you know, I might like Willis better just because of the potential for what he can be, which is, which is like a trap when you're evaluating quarterbacks. Right. So I don't want to, I don't want to go too far, dive too far into that, but from watching, you know, Kirk Cousins for the past five years or whatever, like four years, I I kind of want that upside. Yeah. Is Ritter it's better, better than Calamond? Ritter is a better Ritter is a better prospect than Calamond was, for sure. Yes. All yeah. right. Okay, well, gentlemen, we covered all the things. Let me just check the comments real quick. Make sure we didn't miss any questions from the folks. Jason, 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 can I yes. mention one thing about Kirk? I don't, I don't want to get into like of a course big thing. You may. I, I, I would love for people to understand that the Vikings and Kirk can both not be right for each other anymore. Like, I feel like that's a topic people don't want to discuss. But like, Kirk at his current age, you know, look at his salary, what he's looking for, like. Like if the dude wants to win as well, short term, the Vikings probably isn't the, aren't the right play for him. Same for the Vikings. The Vikings aren't really in a position to to keep using the same strategy they've been using to just go all in for you know season after season. And that's kind of what you have to do if you keep Kirk around. At least at least you have to try to justify that type of move um, to justify that type of move. So for me, it's not even just about not like. We've kind of seen where Kirk can go. I don't want to go down that road. I know Kirk's a good quarterback. That's never been in question. But when you talk about cap flexibility and future cap, fle- like freeing up cap space now, but also future cap flexibility, and then you talk about like the fact that Kirk probably shouldn't want to be here either. Like they're they're just to me. I I just, I just wish that conversation was more like open to the idea that they both might not be good for each other anymore. Like twenty eighteen. The, dis- the decision to, to get Kirk in here made perfect sense. Just like the Rams going all in with Stafford. They had the roster built, the infrastructure that Matt mentioned earlier. The infrastructure was there. Now you need to add an impact quarterback. And what, what, whatever you feel about Kirk, he was an impact quarterback and a guy that you could bring in that, that that's good. But to Rory, to your point, he's not someone that's going to truly elevate everyone around him. But he is a really good quarterback at the same time. So I at least just would hope people would see it from like a, they just might not be a fit for each other anymore. And if we want what's best for the team and, and some people seem to want what's best for Kirk more, whatever, fine. Like they, it, like it should be okay that they might not be a fit, a fit for each other anymore. Yeah. Just to piggyback off of that real quick. Um, if you look at the team that we brought Kirk into, right, that was the best version of our roster over the past, right. you know, however many years. And it's deteriorated Jacket. every year since then to where we're going to lose like half of our defense to free agency right now. And we don't have any money to bring anybody in. Like this team is not going to be in a better place roster wise than it was last year. And at that point with Kirk Cousins as your quarterback, like with paying him all that money, it's really hard to make those changes and win those football games in the way that Kirk can help a team that has already made, you know, defense like, the Steelers, right? They've got a ready-made defense. They got a bunch of 
wide receivers and they were held back by the fact that big Ben is like, was, Oh my goodness. I can't even talk about watching big Ben last year. Right? Like he is a lot better (laughs) for that situation than he is for the Vikings current situation where they kind of need to, you know, make hard decisions with the cap. Right. Right. One, it's about the future. Like they did not decide to move on from a 10 year, 16 year, like Rick Spielman was here for 16 years. They, and then uh, obviously Zim was here for eight, like to make the decision to move on from both of those veteran type people within your front office and the heavy, the, the main decision makers and to go with the younger decision makers and, you know, and Quasi and, and, and O'Connell now, and then, but to stay the same, the same strategy, that's where it's not adding up for me. Like that doesn't mean they can't keep Kirk, but like in general, there are going to be like, this roster is not going to be the same as it was in 2021. Like that's a fact. They they feasibly cannot do it, like unless they restructured everybody. Which again, same strategy, same results, right? Like that. It's going to be different. No matter how things shake out, they're going to have to gut some of the veteran favorite veteran players that the, you know that fans have come to love. Whether that's the quarterback, whether that's some of the aging you know vets like you know an Adam Thielen, a hopefully not a Daniel Hunter, but like Eric Hendricks, like some of those guys, Harrison Smith. Like some of those guys are not going to be around next year. It's just, it's just likely not going to happen. All right. Well, you know, we always love to leave things on a positive note. Uh, maybe next week. Maybe <laughs> next next one. I'm excited. Uh, I'm, excited. Of time I'm, exci- I'm excited. I'm excited to dig into all of these things. Right, same. Same. Excited to dig into it, and that's the thing I think that we all got to remember. We were excited when uh, we brought Quasi uh, in. We want to see yep. uh, bold moves. And uh, I'm excited to see how they turn out. It's going to be different. There's going to be things that happen that uh, that feel uncomfortable for us as fans because we're not going to know what's coming. But that's what's going to make this offseason a lot of fun. Uh, as always, all y'all who are here with us live in the comments, thank you so much for coming out. You are the best fans in this whole game. We love it. You make these uh, live broadcasts so much fun. We got producer Dave popping back up. As Clifford said, throwing these graphics on the screen like he's dealing cards. And uh, Matt, thanks for coming through. The people are loving the flow. Uh, And that's it. I'm going to stop talking because I know Dave's got some things to say to y'all anytime he pops up into the corner like that. Tomorrow night on Vikings Happy Hour, we have scheduled uh, Matthew Collar. However, Matthew Collar has been spending all day down at Hennepin County uh, Courthouse on jury duty. He does not know if he's going to make it tomorrow night. We do have backups of equal quality and depth lined up. Yes, we do, in case he can't. But Matt look, Anderson for GM. Uh-huh. And uh, <laughs> so that's what we got tomorrow night as we all wait and see you know, that Thursday announcement where we see Kevin O'Connell sitting at the desk signing his name. Yes, indeed. Well, as always, thanks for coming through, everyone. If you haven't already, like, subscribe, hit the bell. Dave, play the music. Go Vikings! Thanks for watching. Like, subscribe, and ring the bell. And if you're listening on your favorite aggregator, Make sure you rate us, and always feel free to join the conversation here at Climbing the Pocket. Skull, everybody. Skull, everybody.